I'm Nirav Desai. I'm Kirby Shabaga. And along with Stephen Shu, I'm Vinay Narayan, and welcome to this episode of XRC Pod, where in this series we're talking to leaders in XR as we really look to how do you lead uh, in this industry in an emerging category, and especially during such trying times. And we, I think, in many ways, I always feel our guest today is almost like the first lady of VR. You you see her almost every week, if not multiple times during the week. Uh, she's everywhere, uh, both in terms of uh, as a leader, uh, as a speaker, as a thought leader, uh, n- not only someone that I really look up to in the industry as well, but uh, someone who's a really great friend. Um, Amy Peck, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Vinay. Thank you for for that amazing introduction. <laughs> oh, it's all just facts, right? You can just Google you, uh, you know, to, to, just just to say alone that you're a founder and CEO of Endeavor VR, uh, and you're also a board advisor for so many companies, and um, and also the venture partner at Capital Region XR Accelerator. Like so many great, you know, uh, you, you're do you've done so much for this community for for so long, um, and so it's just so great to just to be able to get you here and just get your thoughts. Thanks so much. Yeah. Also, to just lock you down in one spot, like you're one of the most <laughs> traveled people that I've I've met, and I used to travel quite a bit myself. And you're still traveling. Like, didn't you just get back from? Some, uh, weren't you in Georgia? Yes. Yes. The so country. I was in, yeah, the country of Georgia, yes. uh, in Tbilisi. Um, that's my uh, second trip there, uh, and and you know, they're doing some really incredible work uh, with startups and kind of trying to build kind of in the topic that we're talking about today, really sort of build a, a foundational ecosystem, uh, not just for XR, but really for emerging technology as a whole to allow you know startup founders to really have the resources to build and scale their companies. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how do you, like, how do you even come up, come up about this? Like, you, you know, how would you even describe yourself in this space <laughs> to, to, you know, to, you know, some of these folks that you're, they're meeting with, especially internationally? Like, how, how would you sum up, uh, I'm Amy. Here's what I do. Here's what I do. What I do is I do my best to connect the dots uh, between enterprise and technology uh, and sort of end users to be able to scale XR technology in any spare moment. You know, I'm really trying to help people find their path within the XR community. That's that's amazing. Uh, you know, we, we we try to start off the podcast with a hard question first, and really, this one is not going to be a hard question for you, but it's going to be back to these guys, uh, a bit of a challenge. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Amy is probably one of the most well-traveled person I, I know, just in terms she's always on the road somewhere. Um, so, for Kirby and Nero, you guys have to figure out how many countries or how many places has has Amy visited. But we're going to use some objective way to do this. One really great way, you know, you travel a lot when you have an app. Uh, a weather app that you actually have to <laughs> check the cities because you know you want to pack light and you, you're going to be from plane to plane. Uh, so we're going to use Amy's app. She's going to scroll through in the first maybe like let's say 20 seconds how many cities uh, can she actually find. Um, and so you guys have to guess in that time frame um, how many cities do you think Amy is going to pull up. And these are actually cities that she's traveling to because uh, she's she's all over the place. So um, and then Amy's going to pick kind of what the loser, the consequence for the loser is. So while you guys think about a number, Amy can think about that. So what do you guys think? Her scroll through her weather app, how many cities do you think she'll go through in about 20 seconds? 
Now, Amy, are these cities that you go repeatedly to, or these are just cities that you're... These are um, cities that... So it doesn't even hold all of the ones, so it maxes out. So I have to delete ones when I add a new one, but it's mm -hmm. just what's in here today, and then I'll, I'll yeah. power through what's still in here. Yeah, so it's well, countries well, that I've been to in the last, you know, year, year and a half. I'll, I'll go with a good number of 42. That's a good all number. Right. Yeah. Or my nerve. Well, what about you, Nerav? You, you're talking about where time so it's got to be. Uh, a somewhat round number. I'm going to go with uh, 50. Okay. okay. All right. So I'm just going to read what's on here. Paris, Laval, Qashqai, Amsterdam, Madrid, Calgary, Banff, Shindau, Hong Kong, Sydney, Adelaide, Prague, Crom, Montana, Geneva, Munich, Tbilisi, Sag Harbor, Vancouver, Sausalito. And it taps out at 15, mm -hmm. uh, but I just had to renew my global entry. And so can you guys guess countries I've been to the last three years. One of you is kind of close. I'm sticking with 42. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm revising down to about 40. Okay, well, you're both pretty close, 34. Okay. Wow. Steven messaged me, he goes, where has she not been? And I, I can answer that, home. You probably haven't been home. <laughs> this is true. Well, yeah. it's actually, that's going to get even uh, more harder to pinpoint because as of January 2021, I'm going full digital nomad for about a year. Nice. And uh, my younger son is going to come with me on most of that journey. And younger, I mean, he's 19 now. Uh, but actually, both my sons are coming to Tbilisi with me in January. So that's where I'm starting. So I'm starting January back in Tbilisi for probably two to three months. And I, I when I get the joy of having both of my college-age boys with me, which is, you know, when you have kids this age, they do not spend a lot of time with you. So I feel pretty excited Good. about Good having them both in tow. Good for you. Uh, I, I think I earlier said you're like the first lady of VR, but you're really like the, the secretary of state of VR, right? You're, like the, you're the global <laughs> ambassador pulling all of us together, uh, which, which is absolutely fantastic. Oh, right. I didn't tell you what the loser was going to get. Oh, that's right. You oh, yeah, have, have, to, you have the... to sing a, a, a acapella, I'm leaving on a jet plane verse. <laughs> Because that's appropriate. You know, we're, we're trying to build an audience here. I don't think uh, any of us singing is. Uh... Oh, boy. Uh, just one line. Okay. All right. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah. It's your, it's your guest, right? What kind of, what, what, where are your manners, guys? Um, My bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Yeah. There you I mean, go. There you go. Yeah. I love uh, but who uh, lost? Well, hey, he, we're he both never losers. Took, never, never <laughs> took one for the team. You were both uh, pretty, pretty close, though. You were, you were definitely in the realm. Um, you know, as you do travel, I'd love to just get your insights as kind of what you're seeing and, uh, you know, definitely either have you back on the podcast or just um, hope hope you can post and, and share some of these some of these thoughts, because what I find interesting about your uh, uh, travels and we'll talk about this as we really look at this episode and where we talk about um, in order to lead in this space and, and leadership, we've kind of defined as not just leading an organization, but also leading yourself. You need to understand the ecosystem, right? A, a very common theme and successful XR companies is realizing that one, the technology is not enough, uh, the problem is going to evolve, and there's so many different components that none of this stuff is standalone. Um, it, it gets integrated into a, both a workflow, and there's so many different players. But your perspective, Amy, has also been very great because you found this e consist consistency in an ecosystem globally, right? As as you go um, in, into these into these kind of these various countries and, and various conversations, uh, I'll be trying to. Uh, of trying to pull uh, those aspects together. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny because when I talk to ISVs, you know, who are the independent software vendors, and and 
I, I just did a talk. You, you mentioned, um, uh, I think we talked about VR ARA Association Global Summit. They just had another event, and I had one slide in my talk, and it's just a big slide with a woman in a headset, and it says XR is ready. And it really is, um, you know, VR more so than AR, but AR is kind of coming fast and furious. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because, you know, ISVs are, you know, they now have products out there that are that can be deployed. But sometimes companies, uh, you know, who are building products and services don't recognize what it takes to service enterprise because it's not just about getting the sale. It is you know, integration, it's the hardware, it's the chipset manufacturers are part of this ecosystem, it's cloud providers, it's the channel partners, right? How do you get in the procurement lane for some of these big companies? It's systems integrators. And then it's, you know, actual integrations with existing systems and software like CMS, like LMS, like MDM, and any other three letter ERP that you can think of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's not a simple task to deploy XR at scale. We have had kind of a stay of execution, you know, sadly with with COVID. Um, it's been a tragedy on so many fronts, but on the technology front, I think we've all recognized how we can leverage immersive technology to stay connected. And it, we are just scratching the surface. And so in terms of, you know, having to manage the complexities of integrating and uh, deploying, you know, on-prem services, we're starting to see one-to-one -one deployments because people are at home, they're not in their offices. So we have time now to really perfect what that's going to look like at scale when, when we do go back, whatever that looks like, it's going to look different. But now what we just have to do is secure devices for people to use in their homes and then be able to have content management systems to deploy content to them that's relevant to them and then be able to integrate that into learning management systems. So there's it, it's simplified the process in a, a, a small way now to give us the time to kind of look at the bigger, bigger picture and how is 5G and cloud and edge going to figure into this as we start to scale. Um, but now we have, again, we have a little bit of time uh, on our hands to be able to to work out those components. Yeah, we may need to do like a, a round of buzzword bingo with Amy. I feel like you've I, kind isn't of thrown. Isn't that ridiculous? As, yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know, you actually do know and work with these things uh, all the time, you know, um, and that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why we're so excited to have you on the show. Um, some of the things we've seen from leaders, uh, consistency is they have a vision, right? And that vision, whether uh, we talked to Gabe Jones um, not that long ago with, with from Proprio, and there's so many things to unpack from him, but you, you, there was a consistency in his vision for um, culture, and a lot of it boiled down to empathy of really understanding mm -hmm. both the problem, the stakeholders. Um, you know, and for you, I know you have that very similar as well. Um, what is your vision for how the XR industry can and can and should work together? Well, I have, I think, probably a similar vision that includes empathy, and it's really around education, and it's education in all of its forms. You know, I our education system, particularly here in the United States, is, I believe, sort of fundamentally flawed because it services a fairly narrow swath of the population. And I'm talking, you know, from middle school, because we don't really put young children in headsets, but, you know, middle school, high school, and then into community colleges, you know, for more vocational training, uh, and then into universities. 
but we are becoming lifetime learners, right? There's no, you know, we go to elementary school then you go to high school and you graduate and you go to university and you study that. I don't see that as the way of the world in the future. And XR enables us to consistently learn. So we're going into VR, we can be in completely immersed in educational concepts and learning modules and curriculum with infinite drill downs. And then AR will allow us to kind of do what we use, you know, the Google for now, right, which is just contextual information on the fly when we need it in the place that we need it at the time that we need it. And so that does dovetail into empathy in that we need to change the way we work as a global village. And we've had to do this in defense of COVID. We have never acted as a global village towards a common goal. And yet we are all human and our humanity binds us together. And we haven't found a way to connect us all globally. And XR does that. And I feel like I'm on a pulpit now, but I, I am so passionate about this. And Ready Player One, the film, talked about everything except the educational component, which the book talks about. And that to me is kind of the kernel where we can fundamentally change the outcome and we can change people's belief system. We can engender good global goodwill and empathy and understanding. That, that's that, that, was a, that was a, that was a lot we, to talk about. <laughs> well, we asked about your vision, right? And that, that is definitely. <laughs> and there um, you have it. it. Yeah, well, you know, I said earlier too that you're you're kind of the ambassador for XR, and you've talked about a, a global community. Two things I think are pretty fa uh, fascinating is this, one is this concept of global community, and where we we're starting to understand that there is a lot of benefit and value and a necessity for us to come to work together, and then also lifelong learning. Um, there's a there's a bit of a a myth, right, that uh, you can't teach a dog an old dog new tricks, uh, and then that dog in this conversation being us as people, but from a neuroplasticity standpoint, we are very capable uh, of learning and actually highly encouraged to learn as there's a lot of, um, whether it's cognitive things that happen later on in life, um, or even other physical health elements that come from by not learning, uh, continue to do that. So those are those are great visions to have. Yeah, so just yeah. a quick mention there. If, if we look at the kind of history of technology that brings us all together, you know, going from the phone system and then uh, having the internet, which really brought us together. But now we're building on top of the internet with XR. A and we, we just have to hope that that remains open and that we can all participate in XR. It's just more of a yeah, no, I comment, you, I think. <laughs> I know I love that you bring that up because, you know, we're, we're hearing more and more. In fact, I, I was on a panel uh, recently for, uh, uh, it's called Haresis Global Meeting, and it was started by a man who uh, produced World Economic Forum for many years, and it's very similar in its construct, and we talk about big issues, and digital divide was one of the biggest issues. And, you know, it, it I do believe that the, the challenge is that we are going to follow the way of mobile, where mobile, you know, be, was sort of available to those who are in a particular economic strata, right, because of the cost. But then we were start to, you know, find ways to, to populate uh, more remote areas or um, less economically stable areas to be able to give them access to internet and mobile. And I think we have the opportunity now, in fact, it, it really has to be a mandate for all of us in the industry to ensure that, that 
that accessibility is available and not as accessibility in in you know kind of physical terms but accessibility in just terms of being able to be in these virtual environments to be able to engage with a broader community and have it not be just given to a select few it is going to start that way there's no way around that uh, but it's our responsibility to enable a broader audience in these virtual environments you know um amy i just where this conversation is going I, maybe i'm jumping the gun here because we'll probably get there anyway but um conversation recently with a friend we're talking about uh, oddly the arab spring and um you know, the internet started with this great belief in, uh, you know, a uh, citizen democracy, this idea that everyone could ha have their voice heard. And we saw that kind of play out to a certain degree in the Arab Spring, though it didn't end well. And now, globally, we're all living with those consequences. Uh, um, when, you, when, when you articulate your vision, it got me thinking about the promise of it, but it also got me thinking a little bit about the unexpected negative side. And... I guess this is maybe hearkening back to uh, some of the lessons that Tom Furness has taught me is how do we think now about architecting and, and digital divide is part of it, but not recreating the wrongs that uh, social media and then big data have created on the world. Um, how do we get this one right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because um, it, it, I talk a lot about innovation and innovation right now happens in a bubble. And it, this is it's, it's this is a little bit circuitous, but it, it, it is to the to this point. Um, you know, it's in these sort of gilded halls of R and D and private labs. Like, you know, I used to work at HTC, and they had one of our creative labs groups was below us. We weren't even allowed to be downstairs. Right? To me, that is not the way of the future for innovation. And innovation needs to happen cross culturally. Uh, but but fundamentally across different disciplines and individually, we need to start taking responsibility for ourselves as individuals to start to understand what technology is capable of and learn enough about it. I see I'm on. I don't know if any of you have the Nextdoor app. It has it started as this really wonderful idea and has in, in some ways devolved into this. I, you know, I was you know, had to wait 10 minutes for my coffee. And I'm thinking, really? Really? You are filling your mind with this. And this is part goes back to the education piece as well. We need to stop filling our minds with small thought. We need to care about our family first and our communities, but we also need to recognize we are part of a bigger equation here globally. And we have to take responsibility for the future of technology. We have our arms around it today. And this is all, you know, this goes to AI, which is people are very fearful of. It's with blockchain, it's with quantum, quantum computing, uh, with robotics, all of it. And we need to, to maintain control of all of this technology. And I shouldn't say control, but we should leverage it as our ally instead of burying our heads and just saying, well, someone else is going to control it and it's going to be controlled by governments and then we're all going to lose our jobs. And there's this sort of black mirror mentality. And that to me is fundamentally wrong. Why would you allow your belief system to be doom and gloom when you have an opportunity to change outcomes? We all do. So I, anyway, yeah. again, pulpit. I'm yeah. just stepping down again now. <laughs> no, it's about yeah. maintaining our humanity, right? It's not um, how do we use technology to maintain and extend our humanity? Exactly, and that it's and it's an, it's a great it's a great construct, and I think that you know when we were kids, we used to be able to. You didn't even want to sing, right? 
But if you were in first grade and I said, can you sing that song? You would have belted it out with reckless abandon, right? We could paint, we could sing, we could dance. We are at our core creative creatures. Something that we have not been able to hard code into AI yet is the ability to truly create something from nothing out of a kernel of an idea and a breath and give it life. And, and that is our ability to create. And that can be on the technical side and that can be true art. And we as humans need to get back to that. We need to continue to train. Now, it shouldn't just be STEM, it should be STEAM. We should continue to train the arts yep. and we should continue to nurture that creative thinking because that's how, the, that's how the great thinkers and the great inventors are able to connect dots and bring us kind of the products and services and the creations that change our lives. But we all have that capability we're just not teaching it from a young age and we're not giving students the tools so that as adults, they don't lose that connection to the thing that is at our core. Yeah. You know, that so, humanity and that creation. So there are kind of two things there. I mean, creative confidence, not losing yeah. that ability. Uh, but secondly, the power of travel in order to have a, a worldview and have and understanding from folks in other parts of the world, how they view your world, how you view them. And, you know, I, you're very fortunate to travel a lot. I, I've traveled somewhat, mostly to Asia, uh, but I know a lot of people just don't travel. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when I first moved to Seattle, I was at work and one of my coworkers, I said, you know, um, how, how long have you lived in Seattle? Because most people in Seattle just moved here from somewhere it seems but this person said no i was born here i said well where have you been and he said nowhere <laughs> and i was like what you've always been in seattle okay interesting yeah. uh but now we have the power of xr that can teleport or allow people to be transported to other areas of the world virtually and hopefully that's a, a net positive yeah, I mean, and there, you know, there are some challenges. I mean, you cannot unsee something you see in VR. So there are some dangers and, you know, we have to secure those environments. The other piece of it is that, you know, as humans, often we are a little bit fearful of trying new things or sort of extending ourselves for fear of, of failure. But XR gives us the opportunity to try and fail in a completely safe environment and do that with other people and build a persona of kind of the best version of ourself. And I was just to say that because I've also moved a lot in addition to traveling, you know, I've, I've lived in Tokyo, I've lived in London, I mean, I've lived all over. And it, I always used to say that it actually brings out the best in me, it forces me to be the best version of myself because otherwise I'm just gonna sit in a new apartment in a new city where I don't know anyone and nothing good is gonna happen. And so I think VR mirrors that and gives us the opportunity to create the best version of ourselves in a safe virtual environment that we can bring out into the real world. And it's part of our belief system. When you travel in a, or you live in another country for a while, uh, there are real consequences to that new experience, right? You look like a fool when you try to order a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> or I do. Um, to a certain degree, if you think about 
what went what's gone wrong with uh, the internet is there is no consequence consequences for anything we do, and that brings out the worst in us. Um, in VR, I mean, you can try out different things. You can, um, but the question is, is there anyone looking at that cons? You know, enforcing that consequentialism in 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 life mm-hmm. or in your virtual avatar. Yeah. So when when uh, you know the first couple of times I went into alt space, you know, like people would come and like sit on my head and do really gross things, and I would just be like, what? It, you know, it's it's part of the same social fabric, right? We need to just kind of build those rules. Uh, and and now it's now that we have a broader audience, and it's not just. I think it was part of part and parcel of it was like gamers who are used to kind of, you know, trash talking and, you know, being ridiculous and, you know, being kind of negative in these environments, you know, mostly, mostly in good fun. Um, those were the first adopters of VR environments. And those were the ones going into these kind of social VR constructs. But that has started to kind of level out. And again, it's up to us to kind of develop what that social fabric looks like. You know, a lot of these virtual environments now have a virtual bubble. You can kick people out of your space. There are privacy controls. It's, it's very similar to the same thing with, with chat and internet and even texting. And, you know, I, I block numbers on my phone all the time because I get spam. So, you know, it's it's about just developing that construct. At least we have a lot of those rules kind of already in place with other technology. And it's, but it's, it's more expansive in virtual environments because it's much more like real life. So the things that you wouldn't do in real life, you're not, you know, it makes sense. Don't do them in virtual environments. Yep. Earlier, you said, Amy, we need to stop filling our minds with small thought. Um, I think that's such a, a powerful statement for, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, whenever we ask you a question, you have so much passion for these opportunities <laughs> in XR. And that's why we're in the space, right? Uh, there's a lot of human challenges and opportunities for us to address. We're not trying to necessarily have to fix things, but really create more of an equitable world or environment. Um, but really a leader is to take that vision and connect the dots. And that's why the ecosystem conversation is so important. Uh, Rob, I really want to spend some time actually thinking about what is the ecosystem to you? And then we'll actually get into some of those players as well. So how would you define the XR ecosystem? Uh, because as we kind of alluded to, in order to be able to lead in XR, you need to also you need to, you need to know the ecosystem in order to lead in XR. So what is the ecosystem to you? Yeah, so I look at it as the kind of architecture that enables the experience, right? So you, you know, hardware is front and center of that. So you've got your hardware OEMs, you have your ISVs who are building the experiences. Uh, You have then the delivery mechanisms, which are a kind of a broad range. So uh, CMS systems, you're gonna have, there's 5G, there's edge compute, there's cloud. You have the chipset manufacturers who are enabling these graphics, the cloud rendering that's going to happen, you know, in, in either on device or uh, in the cloud or at the edge, depending on the on the weight of the experience. Um, and again, the integrations that are necessary with existing software to enable utility. And it's, it's interesting because I just was reading uh, a UI UX um, uh, uh, designer's blog. And you just started the the first sentence was always start with the user. So everything that the ecosystem is doing should be focused on the user. And this is not just about companies or consumers. It's about the individual user. Who is that user? 
and how do we give them a seamless experience? Because when we start thinking about what is this vision, I would like to be able to put on my, you know, magic wayfarers, which, you know, may actually be magic wayfarers since Facebook has announced their um, partnership with Luxottica and just be able to say, oh, I need directions here. And then it seamlessly pops up into my field of view. Now, the technology that enables that, that's the ecosystem, right? It is the cloud. It is the voice recognition software that's embedded. It's the visuals. It's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the glass, the lens, the compute. That's the ecosystem. But it is, it should all be designed to have a really seamless IRL digital experience. Like IRL now is, we're not even going to talk about it. It's digital data and avatars and life is going to surround us, especially when the AR glasses come out. And we are not going to be thinking about, especially if it's done well, we're not going to be thinking about which reality we are in. That's not going to be the important thing. And so when you look at, you know, the NVIDIA's and the Qualcomm's who are the chipset manufacturers, that, you know, NVIDIA is enabling these beautiful graphics. You know, Qualcomm has built the XR2 chip, you know, to power these devices. You know, so so those are the people who are focused on, you know, what is this experience? How are we going to power these experiences? But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that the user doesn't have to think about or fiddle with something. They just say, oh, I need directions here. And then an arrow pops up in front of them, you know, similar to what Google's working on. Um, so, the, you know, to me, it, it's so broad and so vast, the ecosystem, but within VR in particular, you can kind of narrow it down to headsets, ISVs, uh, the cloud service providers, the telcos, uh, chipset manufacturers, um, systems integrators, and then, and then channel. Channel sort of an important component of this because, how, you know, how do you get these devices into companies and distributed? Amy, where do you, where do you think uh, middleware tools falls in that? I mean, if you think about the internet model, right? You have, you know, it took a while for you to get chefs and puppets of the world to rise up or to be come about. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen too much of that yet in the VR space. Do you see anything on the horizon there? Well, yeah, because we we do need to solve that kind of end to end piece. Mm -hmm. But it's more going to be, you know, like if you think about like XAPI into LMS, but there's a ton of data then that we're still leaving on the yeah. table because you can only push so much through. So there's going to have to be a new kind of construct of where does that data go? And there's companies out there solving for that problem. There's, um, you know, Cognitive 3D mm -hmm. who are then taking all of that kind of massive unstructured data and making sense of it through heat maps and different visualizations. Um, and then on the back end, we need to look at what data is important because we can capture so, I mean, the data now is, is vast. And to draw another kind of ecosystem line, you know, around like, let's say AR cloud, you know, and I said, all right, actions, and then this sort of seamlessly happens. That's all going to occur, you know, at you know, cloud and edge, some, some on device. But then when you start to think about autonomous vehicles, who are dynamically assessing a situation, the data that they're throwing away is data they already know about the AR cloud and fixed objects. But that data can then be used to dynamically update the AR cloud because 
things that are fixed aren't always fixed, right? So a tree won't necessarily be fixed. A sign goes from here to then somebody decides to, you know, run into it and now it's here. I'm, I'm indicating with like I'm on camera, but, you know, straight up and down versus it gets hit and now it's bent. You know, that's also sort of a utility ecosystem of data and how do we actually parse this vast amount of data now that we're pulling not only down for the consumer to give them the information they need, but then recording from the consumer and their interactions and making sure that that gets recorded, my bigger dream, to their own avatar, their digital asset, where they have all of the levers of permission. It doesn't go to, I'm not going to name names, but we all know who they are. <laughs> it doesn't go to the companies that we are concerned about, you know, indexing and leveraging our data. Um, but that's, a, that's, again, that's part of our responsibility. We can build the interface. I'm working with a company now called Crucible. They are, um, you know, building essentially a, a way for us to move avatars, our avatars from experience to experience in games. But if you look at the larger vision for that, that can actually be your asset in the digital landscape. And you can have a public persona and a private persona. And your private persona will be all of your behavior data. It'll be your medical data. It'll be your financial data. And you will be able to have an interface. And whoever builds this, by the way, you should do it now. That is that is truly unicorn. I hate that word. I don't like to use you know, the billion dollar company. That's a billion dollar business. If you create the interface for us to be able to manage our data and turn on and off permissions very simply, and also a way for us to understand what the value of our data is, because people don't recognize the value of the data, how it's being used against them, for them and against them, but often against them to manipulate their behavior. We need to we need to take all of that back. I know we took a little sharp left turn there, but I do think it's all interconnected. Yeah, there's there's so much of interest to talk about. Uh, you know, just from these last few minutes here, a lot of it along the lines of ethics and privacy, which is huge. Uh, part of the ecosystem, I'm curious, do you do you see monetization? Like, are there different models that we can use kind of a, if we look at the internet and we extrapolate now to XR on top of the internet and we want to make life better for everybody on, on the earth, uh, are there business models that need to be changed for when we move into XR, you know, away from advertising, let's say? A hundred percent. I have a whole uh, idea around that as well. So I don't know if you saw recently that Square, I'm just looking up the number. I think it was, uh, they've, they've invested 1% of their assets in Bitcoin, which is one yeah. of the most, 50 you know, million, I think. 50 million. Yeah. yeah. So one of the most volatile uh, cryptocurrencies, but I actually see a whole parallel economy where we can actually have relationships, direct relationships with brands, where they can pay us for our data. In microtransactions, it'll happen seamlessly on the blockchain, but this is where crypto shines. Crypto's gotten a bad rap because everyone's been trying to lasso it into this existing economic construct. That's not what it's built for. This is a parallel digital economy where value is simply a construct of the people involved in a particular deal. So I see a world where digital goods, we're already seeing this behavior in games, and I don't know if you've got kids, but I've certainly gotten the you know $1,000 in-game you know, <laughs> purchases. So you know digital goods are a thing. Um, but if you imagine that 
you know, there might be a, a, a digital asset that I want to purchase that someone's willing to sell for me for one price, but someone else for some other reason would be willing to sell them that same asset for much less. And so we don't have to anchor. And it, it's sort of, if you think about what blockchain is and this kind of distributed ledger and decentralized, think about value as being decentralized and what the opportunity is. And that I'm going to say to the 10 brands that I wear the most or use the most, look, if you want my behavior data, I'm going to give you these five data points. This is what I would like you to pay me for this. They can either do that or not, but they have a direct relationship with me. And then they don't have the option to manipulate that data to sell me things that are irrelevant because I can shut off that switch at any moment. And then digital goods, people are gonna be buying digital goods. They're gonna want their avatars to look great. They're gonna wanna buy digital worlds. They're gonna wanna travel to digital worlds. They're gonna wanna buy digital. It was the dream of second life, you know, that, that Philip Rosedale had back in 2007. And he was so far ahead of his time and he was so brilliant, but he gets it. And I urge you, if you have not seen some of his talks where he really talks about virtual worlds and virtual economy and he, you know, he actually built uh, uh, the follow on his follow on high fidelity. He built, you know, HFC, his high fidelity coin. Uh, you know, he really saw this vision. And it, it when I first heard him speak, it resonated with me so much. And I've since kind of worked it into a lot of different designs around what, what a future uh, parallel economy might look like, a true peer-to-peer -peer economy. I've heard that narrative a few times around, uh, um, and, and a BC is doing a, a, an interesting experiment around uh, assigning uh, citizens a digital asset or a uh, digital ID as part of their uh, licensing process. I do wonder though, if we now pivot the economy to pay for access to my data, does that result in uh, a new digital divide where um, people, only people with buying power have marketable data? Yeah, that it, 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 it certainly does. And our challenge, the, the other the other piece, and it's funny, it's in the quote that in, in, uh, that, that's in Square's press release, um, and I'm going to kind of mix it up, I'm sure, but it, it essentially saying that they, they believe that Bitcoin has the power to uh, level the playing field and offer, um, you know, an ability to be able to earn and participate in this sort of broader economy. Uh, there, there is an incredible danger of it being usurped. But again, you know, you know, it's power in numbers, right? And if we're not worried about being insulted that someone at a coffee shop didn't, you know, deign to serve us in the amount of time that we thought possible, and instead we are all working together, there's a fantastic company called, um, I think they're called Power Ledger, uh, out of Australia, and they, you know, they have, you know, sort of distributed power grids. So you basically have a server that serves a particular community, and then all that community then all draws in a t totally transparent way. They draw their power from that grid. So you're not reliant on a PG&E. And I'm saying that because we've had rolling blackouts here in, in Northern California now over the last year, um, and so. That is an example of technology enabling community to better itself, but also to allow everyone to participate regardless of their, uh, you know, ability to pay, right? And so those who who can pay more, pay more, they get, they get more power, but then there's a baseline that everyone is able to access. 
And it's a, it's a, this is, you know, this is an overhaul. This is an overhaul of everything that we do. But look at what's happened in the last six months alone. We have had to completely turn our lives upside down. We're having to teach our children at home. We've had to learn to work from home. We've had to find new ways of doing everything. This proves that we don't need to fear change, but we all need to develop a bigger vision. So one of my exercises, which I'll put to your audience too, when I ask the question of people, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? I get a very pat answer. I'll be doing this. I will have sold my company. I will have two more kids. I'll be married. I'll be living in Barbados, whatever it is. But there's no specifics. And so what I am asking everyone to do is sit down, look at what you know about technology today. Don't try and draw a line from where we are today to where you think technology is going. Just say, I would like to have this. Like I invented this thing called the Mindy Pod, which is a mindfulness pod. It's like a big egg and you go in and then you have little chips and you pick you know, whatever program you want and it sort of resets you and puts you in a more productive mood or a more relaxed mood or whatever it is. And then I have my personal robot and then I have my FMD, which is my follow me drone, which helps gives me directions and it will you know, go in advance and share data with me. And so I just invented all of these things that I thought would be cool for me to have. And I think if we all start to do that, what'll be really interesting is that it's gonna be a Venn diagram. We are all going to intersect in the middle because at our core, we want the same things, right? We wanna be loved, we want to love, we want our families, we wanna take care of the people around us, we wanna do fulfilling work, we wanna create whatever that is, that lives in the middle. And then the things that are the far kind of outliers, technology can enable that. But it starts to teach us this mindset of invention and this broader thought, then why are you mad that that person cut you off on the street? Like they have literally changed the electrical structure in your body because you have allowed them, right? Who cares? You have allowed them to change your physical being. And we need to train this type of mindfulness and this type of thinking from a very young age so it becomes second nature to us. So when I say don't fill your mind with small thought, that's what I mean. Think about things that are, it's not like you have to solve the problems of the world, but think of things that make you happy, right? Why be angry? Why be upset? Why be, you know, have this abject vision of the future? There's no positive outcome for that. I really needed this therapy session, so thank you so much, Amy. I feel uh, I I love uh, I love the uh, the details, though. When we think about the future, you know, we it's very easy to live in a fantasy world when someone asks you um, a forward-looking question to stay so high level that it's never really actionable. You don't ever really fail either, but it's just these are things that make you kind of feel good, but there's no really specifics. <clears throat> when you were talking about um, crypto, uh, in that you said you said that something about it actually being a parallel currency right and i think that's also really important about a lot of these technologies is by replacing certain things you're also absorbing some of the bad behaviors or inefficiencies or the wrong way of doing things if we can continue to look at a lot of the solutions we're trying to build as parallel options right because we're not saying you change your lives but maybe enhance or start this journey which is a lot of what this really is it's a journey that we're going to iterate and build on the ecosystem question though is an interesting one in a sense that while that is what we're trying to unpack here we went really broad and big on ecosystem because all those uh, components are 
they're critical for an experience. Um, and I think you had said it earlier too. You need to start with the person the, as, you, as you're designing um, these, these future solutions. But really, there is a very specific ecosystem that we have to navigate. And you, you touched on that. Actually, you went through pretty pretty well in terms of hardware, uh, OEMs, ISVs, uh, the, the delivery me mechanism with the uh, chipset uh, manufacturers. But are those big company things that are, as a big company to navigate an ecosystem? Or how, who really needs to care about the ecosystem? And how do you go about inter in engaging or interacting with one of these ecosystem players? Well, I think that what, what's been great about um, some of the bigger players, you know, like NVIDIA and Qualcomm and uh, you know, almost all of the hardware OEMs is they do have, I think the ISVs and the developers really need to kind of understand what's coming, um, not just relative to their own products, but how they're going to deliver the right kind of experience. Um, and what's what's great about the ecosystem players today, and this includes Verizon, like, you know, I just did a, a, a talk with them, uh, with Charlie Fink and, uh, and a couple of their uh, high level folks uh, in Italy. To, to really help developers and companies find, you know, how to leverage this technology and how to bring it in. So there are lots of developer resources at all these companies, like look at, you know, Microsoft has them as well. Um, all of the players have them. They're a little bit hard to navigate in some ways, but what's been really interesting is that also through their uh, individual kind of marketing divisions, and these are more kind of practical steps, right, for, for ISVs, is, is, you know, build really great case studies, you know, for, for what, what your product or service happens to be. Uh, and then keep reaching out, reach out to the NVIDIAs of this world, reach out to the Microsoft, reach out to Facebook, reach out to HTC, tell the stories of how you are succeeding. And I've seen so many of these companies come together where Verizon might work with Amazon. In fact, they have a, um, a product called Wavelength for edge compute find out what all of these these enabling pieces are so i think i you know if we're speaking to developers and isvs that's how they engage with the ecosystem from an enterprise standpoint you guys have a ton of power you are our customers you can really engage all of these ecosystem players because we all have the same goal we want to deploy we want to deploy safely we want to deploy uh, securely, and we want to deliver the right content to the right workforce. And workforce development now is more critical than ever. Um, you know, being able to uh, you know capture knowledge, deliver knowledge. Um, the, it, the time is right right now, and everybody is available to you. All the telcos are available. All of the chipset manufacturers, all the headset manufacturers, they will help you deliver this, but it's important to tell the stories, right? It kind of comes down to a marketing play. Yeah, I think uh, you, <laughs> you know, you really talk about leveraging resources a lot. Um, you've kind of been the Switzerland, I, I feel like, in, <laughs> in these different different groups. And But you need to be, right? Because um, you've mentioned a lot of these players that uh, just not too long ago are, are competitors. But now we have to come together or we may not be competitors, but the slice of your pie may not be big enough to, to warrant the, the investment. How do you navigate that? Because we all know we need to work together. Uh, we all know there's some opportunity, but it's hard to quantify that opportunity now. But but you're doing it. So well, what's kind of your secret sauce there? Well, I literally just call people up, like, and, and I say things. I say things at all these events. And in fact, I said something about MDM. I said, people, we need MDM. Somebody, <laughs> somebody, make this happen. And you know, someone from VMware reached out and said, look, this is what we have. And I said, okay, what do you need? 
And they said, well, we need all the headset manufacturers to support, you know, Android for Enterprise. So then I call you, Vinay, <laughs> and then I call somebody. And this is not my job, by the way, but this is what I care about. And so it's, we can all do this, right? We're, it's, this is a small community. We all know each other. So, you know, let's talk about the needs. If you're an ISV, you're having a challenge. Get on a panel, talk about it. You know, do a post on LinkedIn. We're all reading each other's work. Um, you know, reach out to one of us. You know, it's, it's you know, Charlie Forbes at, uh, you know, I mean, Charlie Forbes, Charlie Fink at Forbes. He's phenomenal, right? He'll, mm. you know, he's got the biggest bullhorn of everybody, right? He's writing a, a XR column for Forbes every week. You know, we can start to shore this up. And look, there's plenty of time for us to be competitive. This is going to be the way of the future, particularly AR. AR is going to be ubiquitous. There's going to be plenty of time for all of the players, you know, Apple's going to come out with their glasses. Facebook will come out with theirs. You know, who knows what Google's doing with North? But you know, the the there'll be glasses out there. It's going to be the wild west. But right now, we need to put the standards in place. We need to make sure that the experiences are seamless, and we need to secure these environments and this data. There is a lot of biometric data that's going to be flying around with our, with you know these glasses and headsets. We need to definitely shore that up. Yeah, one one thing I've noticed during this whole discussion is a lot of it comes down to, you know, not really predicting what's going to happen. And, and I think a lot of people like when you ask that question, where do you see yourself in five or ten years? And for most people, maybe they have lost that creative confidence and they, you know, aren't playing in their mind with an imagination. Uh, do you know Jane McGonigal? I, I just took one of her courses mm -hmm. uh, called Futures Thinking, and it was fantastic. Oh, someone it, mentioned that to me. Yeah, I need to take a look at that. Yeah, because I mean, it, it, and it kind of makes sense, right? That no one really knows what the future is, but we have the power to uh, affect the outcomes the way we want to see the future. And I, I love what you just said about, you know, just reach out to people. I, I think most of us have the experience when you reach out to someone, generally people want to help you and there's nothing to be afraid about to, to do that. Yeah. But yeah. That was great. Thank you. I always tell my kids, you don't get what you don't ask for. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't hurt. I'm, I'm perfectly happy looking, you know, like not the brightest person in the room that I don't care about. I really don't because I'm surrounded by incredibly brilliant people. I'd rather ask a question and be quiet and listen and hear their take on how to solve a problem and then say, oh, wait, wait, I know someone who knows that piece, you know, and and just connect the dots. And it's like we again, it's it's about that's that notion of small thought, you know, thinking sure. that you're going to make a fool of yourself is, I think, also a small way of thinking. It's kind of like we're all we're all kind of dorks at heart, like we all have a really dorky, stupid side. We all have it. Everyone has it and we all do silly things. That's OK. But let's all have this kind of bigger vision. We have this beautiful blank cap, you know, canvas of technology in front of us. We can paint or write a new story, whatever kind of, you know, creative outlet analogy you want to use. It is a blank slate right now and we don't have to recreate what we've done in the past and just do it faster and more efficiently. We can do things completely differently. And I think we should. I think we're and we're at the precipice and we have this sort of COVID-19 lesson 
fresh in our minds now and we've had to change our behaviors. So let's take the next step and be proactive instead of reactive to something that's negative. Let's be proactive and, and build something positive. I don't believe in black mirror. Let's let's build white mirror. Yep, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't I don't think the future has to be bleak. Uh, there's no reason for that. Normally, you know, in, in towards the end of the podcast, we usually ask for advice uh, from you to our listeners. But I feel like you've given us so many great nuggets, uh, both, both in terms of inspirational and good kind of framework work of thinking. Uh, one of the reasons why I've loved doing this uh, leadership series is you learn a lot about uh, this thinking about how how do leaders actually manage. Uh, Joe Michaels talked about uh, he had a really good analogy uh, that his mom had told him about driving, which is, you know, you you basically look at what's ahead of you and also look at what's right in front of you at the same time. And it was great because, you know, he has some great examples of uh, paying the bills and investing in R&D. Um, and it's actually continues to prove uh, prove off, prove really well for them. Uh, Gabe Jones Proprio talked about um, really the the building the culture um, of, of of an organization and having the competitive nature, which is really a sense of urgency and a sense of quality and all those. And and I think the, I think he ended it that with uh, you have to care about where you actually, actually where you want to work. You actually have to want to come in. And that those are all greats. We've gotten so many great pieces from you, but I love what you had said about, and I think leadership is summarized this way: is this is not my job but this is what I care about. And that's why you do what you do. Um, and I, I think that's, a, that's such an inspirational piece. If you could leave anybody else with anything very specific, because I love you have such great techniques in getting stuff done. Like you're, you're, you balance this vision, but there's a reason why you're, you're working with all these different groups. How do you take step away from the clouds and actually get, get some shit done? What is your advice for, for our listeners? Well, I met the woman who headed up uh, eBay's innovation, um, and she's done it for 20 years. And you know, so many of the things that that she kind of invented, we take for granted today. But I, I really, something that she said really resonated with me is that you know, look to people who are not like you. And this is not just a diversity discussion. It's reach out to people who have a skill that you admire or a different perspective or uh, a different, uh, totally different background, uh, different culture. And uh, they had, um, you know, the ability where you could actually put together a team and you could get funding to put together an innovation project at eBay. Uh, Amazon does a version of this as well. The caveat was that you could not use anyone from your own division. You had to choose, your team had to be from different divisions. And I would like to see that on a global scale. Do that in your own life, in your decision-making. Like, make sure that, you know, you are including friends and you are, you know, seeking out people who are very, you know, very, very different from you and have a completely different perspective. And I get that all the time because I travel uh, and it's harder to do at home, but VR is going to change that for us. Um, but from a company perspective, start bringing in all of the disciplines within your company into your innovation realm. And, and you need to break apart those, you know, kind of gilded walls and, and make it a, you know, a glass room that has windows that projects throughout the company. Uh, and if you do that in your life and you do that at your companies, you will start to see real change and a, a real ability to move past where we are today. Because again, I don't believe this is about creating more efficient, like we're pretty efficient 
right? We don't need to be more efficient. We need to be better. We need to be better humans. We need to be better at our jobs. And we need to consider what are we want our lives to look like. And so those are, to me, the three pillars. And we, we need to do some proactive pieces to get there. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, Amy, I'm sure there's so many more questions that we all have. Uh, what's a great way for those uh, those of us listening to, to get a hold of you and get in touch with you? You know, the best way really is on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I could, you know, I can give you my email as well, but I'm frankly better at LinkedIn than I am on email. <laughs> I, 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 like many of us, at least you can see uh, some, you can understand who, how you're connected and, uh, and give a good, get a better response that way as well. Exactly. That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, thanks so much for being such a great ambassador for for the XR community um, and really kind of bringing the ecosystem together and really kind of really showing us how we're all really tied together. And then there's a bigger opportunity and a bigger challenge for us to kind of really solve the bigger picture uh, for the overall community. And unfortunately for us, that's all the time we have today for this episode. On behalf of Kirby, Stephen, Nirav, thank you so much for listening to this episode of XRC Pod. And you can find us wherever you find your uh, podcast, but you can also find us on XRCPod.com. And let's uh, build something together. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.